0: Well, welcome back to another episode of the Kingfisher Podcast. I'm Eric Whitley, and my wife Bronwyn Whitley is with us today, as always. Hi, everyone. (laughs) And we have, I think, one of the topics that most people have asked me questions about the most.
1: Yeah, you get a lot of questions about this over the years.
0: Oh, so many questions. And so I thought since it's Halloween week um, when we're recording this, Uh, Halloween is coming up uh, in just a few days. I get asked this question a lot, are demons real? Mm. And I get asked this question because of my history doing deliverance ministry and spending a lot of time with with people who have been in the occult and helping them to get out of that and, and to heal. And so it's a question that has been asked over and over. I know if you've got kids, you've probably heard the question as well. I and mean, then we, we've had that question from our kids at different times. I thought we would just spend today talking about, are demons real? Um, one from a biblical perspective as well as my own experience.
1: Well, we've definitely encountered them. So it would be interesting to talk to someone who doesn't believe that demons are real because they have obviously not come across them.
0: Well, let's go through, I think... There's a couple of different theories around. One is Satan himself. So if Satan is real, then I think demons are real. just going to make a quick logical jump that way. Some people think Satan is just a mythical metaphor for bad stuff and evil and darkness and all that, and he's not an actual person. But it seems the Bible would disagree with that because they definitely, the Bible refers to Satan very much as being a real entity, person, spirit that exists and operates in the world.
1: Yeah, well, we we spoke about a couple in our first episode who experienced some deliverance and I remember one of the things that they said was, wow, we really thought that the spiritual battle was a metaphor.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think it's easy to think that or base your beliefs off of what you've seen on a TV show about ghosts or horror movies or that kind of thing, but... I truly believe there's pure evil in the world and in a spiritual form that takes shape and has personality and has ability, and I believe it's real. I believe uh, Satan is real, and I believe demons are real. Now, before I go into that, another thing people always ask about is ghosts. Well, I believe ghosts are just demons. I don't believe that they're disembodied spirits, human spirits, that kind of thing, that are stuck somewhere in between eternity and the earth. I believe they're the demonic. Yeah,
1: I mean, you've done house cleanses, which basically means you go into a house which, as somebody has said, is haunted or they're having issues with spiritual forces, and you go in there and you are able to get them out and kick them out. So that would suggest that they're demonic. Yeah,
0: I've seen it over and over where, after prayer and using the authority of Jesus... The weird things that happen in the house stop happening and there's peace.
1: Once you see that the name of Jesus gets rid of the demonic and anything that's dark of a spiritual nature, you can't really question it any longer. It just becomes obvious.
0: And so talking about ghosts, people go, well, why do ghosts appear like somebody who has lived or been in the house and appear like that person from the past? Well, we have to remember that the demonic, they're spiritual. They are eternal. So they were there 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 200 years ago, whatever. They know what happened in that home or in that place. They know what people look like. And I don't have the best answer, but why do they haunt places and appear to be, you know, the lady in a white dress and whatever else? I think, one, it creates curiosity. It creates fear.
1: They love to create, create fear, I think. They love to provoke fear in people.
0: And I do think probably particularly in places where dramatic things have happened, uh, murder or suicide or that sort of thing, I think they are drawn to those negative energies and those negative events and probably have involvement in those things. And so that they kind of stay in that place. I'll, I'll talk more about, I think the demonic and how they exist and how they function as we go through. So being a Christian podcast, We always want to refer back to the Bible. All right, what do we know from the Bible about Satan and the spiritual realm and demons? Well, unfortunately, there's not heaps and heaps of verses that I can point to. There's some that are in reference to different things that we have, theologians have interpreted as referring to Satan. We do see Satan in him embodied and interacting in several different passages. One being the temptation of, of Christ, where it says Jesus and Satan are having this conversation, and Satan's trying to tempt him, and so he is a real person. And so they're they're having that that conversation. In Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, uh, it's referring to Satan, and it talks about how he fell. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to earth you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High. But you were brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. So,
1: Yeah, there's a good one in Revelation as well. Uh, 12 verse 9 says... The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him.
0: Yeah, and so that's one of the references about, well, where did the demons come from? So my short answer is I believe they're fallen angels. I believe they were angels that somehow decided to align with Satan. He was that convincing and that wonderful and powerful. We know he was a very glorious being. Yeah. Very, very. He's
1: described as beautiful. Yeah, and he also shows himself as an angel of light to people that we. The Bible tells us that.
0: Yeah, oftentimes. So I'm glad you brought that verse up, because earlier in verses three and four, it talks about. How many demons there are? Now, we don't have an exact number, but it says, Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. This is the verse where if you've heard somebody talk about that Satan took a third of the angels with him, that's the verse that they've used that from. Yeah. Now, Is it a third of a billion? Is it a third of a million? Is it a third of who knows? We don't know how many that third would be.
1: But it's obviously a
0: lot. It would be a lot. And again, Paul talks about some stuff. Um, He gives us some reference to that there's a spiritual hierarchy within the spiritual realm. In uh, uh, Ephesians 6.12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities and the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So he doesn't give a lot of elaboration, but there again he refers that there's a hierarchy and that there are spiritual beings operating that are of an evil nature operating in the world. And even one of the other more familiar passages is where Jesus, in, um, in Luke, he has sent out the 72 disciples to go and minister. And he sends them out, and he says, I've given you my authority, you know, heal the sick, the stuff that we talk about, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, preach the gospel. Well, now they've come back, and they're all excited, and they say to Jesus, uh, in verse 17 of Luke 10, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So it's just interesting. I mean, and I could share for the next hour other passages of people being delivered. Now the argument can come, well, this was 2,000 years ago. They just didn't recognize mental illness, and they thought someone with a mental illness... As demons, um, or as we would say today, demonized. Well, I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of time with people that are struggling with mental illness, and I've never seen just a prayer completely take that mental illness away and change everything. And I've never really seen mental illness have its own voice or have its own personality, which is completely different to the person. Now, again, I'm fairly experienced with people who Uh, have multiple personality disorder, or as it's called today, disassociative identity disorder. So I'm aware of mental illness that does have personalities that are different and maybe even different genders and all that kind of stuff. But there's something very different about those compared to when you're confronting a spirit that I would call a demon.
1: And especially with the manifestations as well. Um you yeah, know they have different voices and they and they speak in a different way, and that sort of thing, but also there are other manifestations which you've seen quite a lot of.
0: Uh, I've seen, yes, just for fun. I've seen everything from someone manifesting like a snake, so slithering kind of their body went into a snake motion.
1: And, and then they were delivered of that, and that was gone, right. Yes. so that's that's what deliverance does when you do prayer for deliverance you cast out the demon, then they're healed from whatever that was. And so that person no longer slithers around like a snake.
0: Yeah, and, and look, I mean, someone who is demonized generally, this is something that most people don't know because I think most people's experience of the demonic is probably a horror movie like The Exorcist or something that's been highly dramatized as pretty fictitious. You know, it's, it's fictional. It's not really how demonization works and how it looks. When you're demonized, you don't always go around manifesting. It's not something that happens all the time. In fact, the demonic, I often say that they look like, or they act like, sorry, they act like termites. You know, if you have termites in your home, they tend to be in the walls where you don't see them. You don't see them, you don't hear them.
1: Yeah, they're doing damage quietly behind the scenes.
0: They just work away until something you know, something breaks or something shows evidence of it. Something
1: exposes them.
0: Yeah, and the demonic operates in our lives very much that same way, is they don't want to be seen. and In fact, when they manifest, it usually means they're under significant pressure at that point. Yeah. And so it's kind of their fight-or-flight response to manifest, to try and cause chaos and fear and other things, both in the person as well as anybody who's trying to minister to them.
1: Yeah, and I've, I've heard a lot of Christians talk about when they see manifesting in a church service, for example, then that causes a lot of fear in people. So what do you suggest to people who are feeling fearful when they see something like that?
0: Well, for one, we don't have to be afraid. Jesus has the authority, as his children, we have authority over anything demonic. And we don't have to be afraid of that. And it's not a virus that's contagious that if you touch the person or you're around the person that it's going to jump onto you and all that. Generally, as I was saying, they generally, when they manifest, it's, it's to create that confusion, to create chaos. Again, just they have the same nature as Satan where they hate us. And so it's very embarrassing for the person who's going through it.
1: Yeah, they like to humiliate the person.
0: And, of course, creates fear for anybody who is kind of ignorant of what's going on.
1: So what's the best approach if you see something like that in your church service?
0: I think, number one, is to go and to pray and to take authority. To say, in Jesus' name, be still. Be quiet. Stop manifesting. Yeah, give
1: that person back their dignity rather than trying to cast it out right there on the spot, necessarily.
0: And, you know, through many years of, of experience, I... Different times I've talked to the demonic, I've done different methodologies and all this kind of stuff. But what I've found, I tend to ignore them, except for when I speak to them to to be cast out. For the most part, I want to deal with the person. So in some ways, I guess an answer to your question is ignore them. <laughs> you know, don't don't give them the attention that they're trying to acquire.
1: Yeah, you could just quietly pray for them to be still and to stop interfering with what's going on, because usually they're trying to interfere Interfere with maybe that there's a service going on that's really being impactful to people, they're trying to cause confusion or fear. So I would probably just pray for them to be still, to be respectful, and to stop interfering with what's going on, and then leave it at that, and then you can take the person aside later for ministry in a way that is honoring and loving to that person.
0: I mean, at, at our church we sort of have... The rule that if someone is manifesting, we don't do deliverance in front of everybody. We try to shut it down as as, quickly as we can, and we take that person to a private place where they have the option to deal with it or not. But in either case, we're trying to preserve their dignity and take them out of that very exposing situation so that if they are ready to deal with it, there's a private place to do that.
1: Which leads me to another question I have, because what I hear a lot in Christian circles is there's always this debate between whether Christians can be demonized or not. What do you say about that?
0: Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a, a lot of debate around that, and many people say, well, the argument is that Christians cannot be demonized because the Bible tells us when we get saved, Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. If he's light, light and darkness cannot coexist, and so... How could a Christian be demonized if they truly know the Lord? Well, I will say this: I, I don't know how many deliverance, deliverance sessions I've done in my life, but it would be in the thousands. I mean, not like ten thousand, but maybe two, three thousand. None of them were non-Christians. Yeah. In fact, I don't do deliverance with non-Christians because I find that that's actually not helpful for them until they give their life to the Lord. So.
1: Yeah. And I agree with that because, you know, the Bible tells us that if you cast demons out of a non-Christian, then the demons just go get seven of their friends and come back, and it's worse.
0: It can be. So uh, how can a Christian be demonized if the Holy Spirit lives within them? Well, I believe we're made in God's image. He's a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I believe we have a, a threefold being to ourselves as well. We're a body, which is our physical what we look like and brown hair and blue eyes and whatever else. We're a soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. And we're a spirit. And those three elements of us make us who we are. Holy Spirit is aligned with our spirit. So it's almost like we're kind of a little bit, if you think of yourself as a three-bedroom house, in one room, the Holy Spirit's there. The demonic tends to operate in the soulish parts of us. So that's the mind, the will, and the emotions. So in our thinking, and our feeling, and that sort of stuff. And then, as I say, at times it manifests in our physical being. So it's not in the same place as where the Holy Spirit is. So it's more in what you might call your heart or your mind, but it resides in you in those places. And so that's how a Christian can know Jesus and be completely saved, but also be demonized, because they've found a way. It's kind of like a, a homeless person who's just squatting in that bedroom. And it may not even be the whole bedroom. It might just be under the bed, or it might be in the closet, or in the bathroom. But he finds a place to operate, to have influence. And so when I say demonized, the reason I use that word as opposed to possessed is possession is actually a really, really strong word that has connotation that the spirit has complete control over the person. I have never seen that to be the
1: case. Yeah. It's usually in some sort of area of a person's life. So one of the ways that you can invite or open a door in your life to the demonic is something like addiction to alcohol or drugs or things like that. What are some other ways that people might open the door to allow the demonic access to their lives?
0: Well, like we have talked about just recently in a podcast is fear, just operating from a position of fear all the time. Fear is a great open door for, for the demonic. Um, So that's in our thinking and our emotions. You know, fear comes from thinking and emotions and what we're believing and how we're responding to that. Yeah, habitual sins are a great way. Probably the easiest way is any sort of involvement in the occult. And when I say the occult, I mean, that can be anything. The way I would define the occult is anything where we're looking for spiritual information or power or control outside of God. So it can be as simple. I don't know if you remember this, but when I was a kid, we used to have a little toy called the Magic Eight Ball, Mm -hmm. and it was just a stupid toy. You know, you go, "Does Sally love me?" and you'd shake it and go, "Oh, ask again." And so you shake it again. Not looking good, you know. And it's uh, have all these little things. And so, what you're doing is you're in a childish sort of way, in a playful sort of way. You're actually inviting your destiny or your decisions based on. Yeah, I mean,
1: if you actually take it seriously, and you're not just being silly with it.
0: Yeah, and so I bring up that example because I've had someone who was demonised because of a stupid little Magic 8-Ball toy.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't just the fact that they held it and played with it. Like I said, they must have taken on board, this is really serious and I believe this and whatever it tells me. And then you've got things like Ouija boards and palm reading and...
0: All those things are um, just the same thing. It's just on a higher scale.
1: Yeah, all of the occult. uh, You know, there's a big sort of move at the moment a lot of younger people getting involved in witchcraft actual witchcraft and obviously that's a cult you know a lot of them think but I'm a good witch I only do the good stuff but it's all a cult and none of it is good
0: well you're still operating in a supernatural power outside of yourself so and God is not a genie like he's not somebody that we rub the lamp and we get our requests and he acts on our behalf That's what witchcraft is. In fact, witchcraft is really just defined as manipulation and control. If you're somebody who's a controlling, manipulative person, you're operating in witchcraft. You don't have to be standing over a pot with a black hat and stirring it. You're operating in witchcraft when you operate in control and manipulation. And that's what witchcraft ultimately is. It's trying to control a situation with supernatural power. So they do a spell or they do a seance, they do whatever it is, an action to try and get an outcome. Yeah. And I believe the demonic work in that. So when you do that thing, it's like assigning the demonic to go and enact whatever it is your outcome is.
1: Yeah. Some other ways people might be demonized is through sexual immorality. And there's also generational.
0: Yeah. It can come through the lines. Generational. It's an interesting one, uh, particularly when we see different uh, family there's prominent families that we see patterns in, like, for instance, the Hemingways have a pattern of suicide. So, you know... Yeah, I mean, Ernest that's quite,
1: quite obviously going to be demonic.
0: Well, I think it's a generational thing, yeah, and I think there is a power behind that, because you see... Ernest Hemingway, who's the famous one as the author, both his parents committed suicide, he committed suicide, he's had a daughter who's committed suicide. I mean, it just kinda goes through the generations. The Kennedys are another one where they have a lot of untimely deaths. Some of it's been accidents, some of it's been assassinations, you know. So J F K got assassinated, his brother got assassinated, his son died in a crazy plane, you know, crash. Ted Kennedy almost died in a car crash. You know, there's this pattern that you see in, in certain families.
1: So, patterns, so are one, patterns are one way we can kind of identify um, demonic influence. What's What are some other ways that somebody might be able to ascertain that they should look into getting some deliverance or inner healing? What are some other ways that the demonic might exhibit in someone's life?
0: Well, I think, as I've, I've brought up a couple of times, in, in the way that we think, the way that we view the world and the way that if there's something like fear is a really obvious one, but if we're always angry as well, everything, you know, anytime that there's a behavior or an attitude that you feel like is out of your control. Now I'm not saying everything. I'm definitely not a guy who sees a demon behind every bush. Okay. But there are a lot of bushes with demons behind them. <laughs> I will say that. But when we have attitudes or behaviors that we feel are out of our control to really handle, there's probably something behind that that's catalyzing Yeah, like compulsive compulsive
1: behaviors or attitudes or demeanors that you've prayed about and you've sought help with and counseling and maybe, you know, you've done everything you can to try and change this in your life and you just see that you have no control over it. That could be a place where there's some deliverance needed.
0: Certainly. I have become such a great proponent of working with somebody holistically. I don't believe that inner healing is the only way and deliverance is the only way for people to be healthy. I've very often referred people to psychologists and psychiatrists and to therapists because I think each one of those therapies has its own value and its own place. There are some things that you can only do through inner healing. There are some things you can only do through psychology or they're best at that. So I believe that each type of therapy has its own value and it does things really well that the others maybe don't do as well. And so I I always believe that uh, we need to address people's issues holistically. So if you've been to a psychologist and you've done therapy or you've done different things, but those things are still there, as you are saying, I think sometimes deliverance and inner healing are the things that we miss because they address the spiritual side of a person. So looking at... uh, Whether demons are real or not, I can, by my own experience, confidently say that there are spiritual powers and entities that operate in the world and operate in people, seen it firsthand over and over and over. If you don't believe that, it's probably because you've not come face to face with it, and that's okay. I think God guards some of us from that. He calls some of us into it, but he guards some of us from it because it's not a pleasant thing.
1: But it's also upheld by the Bible the the idea of Satan and demons and the demonic in this realm, you know, in the Bible, it tells us that Satan is considered the ruler of this world. And basically he has his way amongst the world and the people in the world, unless we give Jesus that authority over us.
0: Yeah, well, he acquired the authority over the earth when the fall of man happened, and he's been operating in that ever since. Now... I'm going to talk more about this in a in a later podcast, but Jesus took back that authority, so that 's how we now battle the enemy as we now have the authority of Jesus, and it 's just instituting that and so the the devil and his demons are kind of outlaws, if you want to put it into that metaphor they're sort of outlaws, criminals that are just operating in the earth, and we have the authority we've been deputized by God. To stand in there and bring those things into captivity.
1: Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth I give to you.
0: Yeah. So we have that authority. It's learning to use it and being confident in the authority that we carry. Because the first time you confront a demon, it is very scary. As we were sort of sharing in our first experience, you kind of liked it. I didn't like it because it's just very dramatic and it can be very scary.
1: Well, they bluster a lot because they want to scare you off. They want you to think, oh, I can't do this. I mean, you've even had them laugh at you.
0: Oh, I've had them mock me, saying all kinds of different things to me. I've learned, obviously, through that time and that experience that that does not phase me anymore. Like, I often describe them kind of like a sugared-up five-year-old or two-year-old, that they just scream and shout and bounce on the floor and whatever else. But if you stay firm, just like as a parent, you stay firm and you stay calm, eventually you have that authority there and you can, you can take it over. And, and by and large, to be honest, as I have done deliverance, it's not an exorcism and dramatic and all that sort of stuff. Not it's now. actually not anymore. <laughs> and it hasn't been that way for years. In fact, it's a very quiet, peaceful process at this point.
1: Yeah, once you understand your authority and how inner healing works as a part of deliverance. So for me, most of the deliverance I've ever done has actually just been through inner healing ministry with people. So praying through forgiveness, repentance, renunciations, those sorts of things, breaking off of curses, that sort of stuff that you would do in an inner healing ministry session. That's most of the deliverance that I've done, and it's always very gentle and quiet.
0: Oh, totally. I think it should be a very loving, peaceful process if you're doing it right. That's demons, I think they're real. <laughs> what do you think?
1: According to the Bible and according to our own experience, for sure.
0: Well we would love to know your opinion. What do you think? Are demons real? Leave us a comment, uh, maybe a, a like if you've enjoyed today's show and tell us what, what you think about the demonic and, and whether it exists or not. We want to thank you for listening to the King. Pa- want to thank you for listening to the kingfisher podcast with eric and bron whitley it's been a a great time with you and we hope to, to have you listen with us again have a great day